Hello there and welcome to Talking About Risks with me, Sunny Gopal. This is an audio extract from a video on my YouTube channel. And of course, if you prefer to watch the video, head on over to that channel, which is one word, R-E-D-R-I-S-K-S, and hit that subscribe and the notification bells. I promise you, there's no junk, it's all educational. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello there and welcome to uh, Red Risks. Every now and then I get to do one of these videos with, how can I describe it, a fantastic group of people and this is no exception. When I did the first one of these as a live event with professors uh, Dominic Cooper, Scott Geller and Tim Marsh on April the 15th, 2020, it really was quite breathtaking in terms of how people not only participated but were seriously engaged in the discussions. I thought we'd have to go a long way to beat that one, and I was bitterly wrong. This is a classic example of how a conversation on the future of BBS can invoke such passion in each and every one of us. So much so that we've now decided to do another show, and I'll tell you more about that as things develop. But sit back, put the seatbelt on, and listen to this uh, particular show. I'm, I'm sure you'll thoroughly enjoy it. And if you listen to this, listen to this in podcast land, please go and watch the video, check it out, subscribe, because you'd be really, really glad that you did as you listen to these world-class experts and a fantastic live audience. Thanks. Enjoy the show. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to first start with Scott giving us an overview of behavior-based safety. Remember, the, the title is The Future for Behaviour-Based Safety. So, Scott, if I may, please, can I impose on you for a quick introduction to behaviour-based safety? Well, well, the first I need to say that when I started it in 1979, it was very different than it, than it has taken off to be. Specifically this. First, it involves the line worker. They come up with what is safe and what's at risk at their workplace. They develop a behavioral checklist. Now that's common across most programs of BBS. And then we have peer-to-peer observation and feedback. Now that's what what has changed. When, When we started it, it was develop a checklist. One of the workers observes another worker. You don't sneak around and try to catch them. They know they're being observed, okay? So they observe, and then they fill out the checklist, safe in that and they write comments in the column. What are the factors in the environment that are perhaps facilitating at-risk behavior and maybe inhibiting safe behavior? And then here's a key point that many organizations have not done. There needs to be a conversation between the observer and the worker. They need to give supportive feedback and they need to give corrective feedback. But most companies have not been taught how to give corrective feedback. Oh, supportive feedback is easy. Specify the behavior and state your appreciation and give gratitude for that behavior. The corrective feedback is challenging if you don't know how to do it. By the way, that's where humanism comes in. And we can talk about that later. But the point is, that is, then, by the way, the numbers from those checklists are put on a computer program, and that becomes your data. That becomes leading-edge data or you know, before the injury, you know, proactive data. And then you can determine how many safe and how, how many at-risk. But most importantly, what are the factors in the environment that are influencing the at-risk versus the safe behavior. Now, I might say, that's the way it was initially proposed. When I worked with Ford Motor Company in, this, in the late 70s, early 80s, that's the way it was. But people took a shortcut. Companies went on and just, they did the, the checklist, but they didn't do the conversation because that's awkward. I don't want to talk to another worker about their at-risk behavior. Matter of fact, those checklists became biased towards safe behavior because they don't want to talk about at-risk. I can't blame them. They were ne- never trained on how to do that. So they got the numbers, put the numbers on the computer program, and that's just, now that's better than nothing. But 
more effective would be to have that conversation. Okay, so we'll come back on a couple of points you've mentioned there about corrective feedback and also about conversations. Tim. Um, well, uh, obviously, yeah, as, as you can imagine, I, I agree uh, with Scott. Um, the, the difference in emphasis, I think, uh, for, for me, is it's not about feedback primarily. It's about analysis primarily, which is, you know, Scott was alluding to. But I would always start with that, uh, maybe reflecting the work of people like Scar, um, Sidney Decker, James Reason, that 80, 90% of, of causes of unsafe behavior uh, are, are environmental. Um, so you start with curious why, what's uncomfortable, the safety differently questions, what do you need from us? Um, having said that, uh, you know, it, it certainly won't hurt to give good feedback, uh, you know, either positive or negative. Uh, di dialogue is key, setting the tone is key. Um, leading by example is key, all the cultural pieces. So, so I have a, a much more cultural focus about you know, whether, you know, so you know, when the CEO stands up on annual safety day and says nothing is more important than safety, um, it's our number one priority. That's always a warning sign for the start-off. It should be a, a core value. Um, but when they say that, to what extent are the guys and the women in the back of the room thinking, that's just bull? Um, you know, and that, that's a key metric uh, for, for, for me. Um, having said that, so, so just, I'm very cultural, very much about leadership, very much about dialogue and analysis. You know, we do know that the vast majority of accidents are things like people taking their eye off the ball, people moving into the line of fire, people losing focus or losing grip, and that the vast majority of causes uh, are things like fatigue, um, uh, frustration, time pressures, and, and actually the hospitals are chock full of people who have had a bad interaction with gravity, um, you know, be, be, because of, of that. Okay. You know? um, so we, we do need to have a, a behavioral focus, and we, and we know for the fact that most accidents are caused by immediately dangerous things, not very dangerous things, moderately dangerous things that we interact with frequently and to which we get quite, uh, quite accustomed. Okay. So you, you do have to have a good old fashioned behavioral program looking at things like picking things up squarely, um, holding the handrail. That's going to be an interesting one going forward and none of us use lifts and <laughs> nobody wants to hold the handrail, but everybody's using the stairs. So there'll be a doubling of, of falls down the stairs in the next 12 months at the very least, I would have thought. Um, so, so you do have to have a good old-fashioned behavioral program, looking at good old-fashioned frontline behaviors. But for me, it's, it's all about the culture and the context. Okay, I get a feel for where you are on this. Well, I'm, I'm sitting here listening to some of this, and I'm thinking, yep, we've all got the basics. We all know the basics, okay? So I, the, the, the points I would pick up, because I'm going to be a little bit of devil's advocate. <laughs> well, one of the points I want to pick up is Scott said uh, everything's the checklist ended up biased towards safe. And certainly in my experience, I go in an awful lot of facilities and they're all boasting they've got 97.5% safe. And I ask them how long they've had 97.5% safe. And they say for about three years. And I say, why are you bothering? Why aren't you choosing behaviours that aren't safe? Why are you focusing on the same thing ad infinitum? And as some of you may or may not know, in 2009, I published a paper. I did a meta-analysis of behaviour-based safety to publish research and showed that the design of the process influenced the result. It was literally the design influenced the result. So you've got things like contact rate, how often should you, you, you um, observe? If you have fewer observers monitoring more people, you have a bigger impact. And I'm thinking, and Tim will remember this, when we were way back in the day in the 1990s when we started this, we would have one observer embedded in the work group. He would observe his or her colleagues for up to six months. At the end of six, six months, you switched out the checklist, refocusing on behaviours because you should have sorted out some of those behaviours. Why do you want to keep monitoring them ad, ad infinitum? And then you, that way you can get a work group of six people. It could take you three years for everyone to go around and be an observer, but you've got an observation every day. So mm -hmm. it was it, the design is very, very important. The, the, the reasoning... For the unsafe behaviour, in roughly 50, 51% of the cases, is a human decision. It's either a rule, it's a, it's a failure in planning, a rule or knowledge-based mistake. It's a failure in execution, which is either a distraction or a memory failure or right. whatever. Can, well, I, can, I, can I interrupt you, please? Uh, <laughs> I, I'm smiling because I can see a very small picture at the top of my screen here of Scott. And Scott, I've never seen you smile so much. You've disappeared off my screen now, but what is it that, that got you about what uh, Dom just said there? Well, what's the environment? 
I mean, the environment, I think Tim sees it, the environment is not just physical things, it's the culture. It's, it's supervisors. It's how people talk about safety. What's more important, productivity or safe? By the way, let's think about how this relates to what's going on today. We're trying to get people to wear masks, social distance, and you have lots of people resisting that control. Some of us resist being controlled. And by the way, I'm not sick, so I can go out and interact with people. So yeah, yeah, Dom, there is a, a human element for sure, but the world around us influences that human element. You know, it's a, it's a matter of nature versus nurture. You know, how much are we going to count on one's disposition, one's personality versus nurture, how they've been trained? So I, I think the culture is important, but you're not wrong, man. There's definitely some people who really dislike feeling control and they're going to show counter control you know, no, or right. and that's, but that's where the US, sorry scott that's where the u.s unions come who they've been challenged and challenged and challenged over and over to say the guys do make mistakes the guys do behave unsafely it's not all management systems and they never answer they've never had they've never entered in this debate to my knowledge since you guys uh, we, when Fred Manuel was reporting on it in 1989, 1990, somewhere around there, you were all discussing it over here. Tim and I were still wet behind the ears in Manchester at the time. Yeah. So, Tim, might, Tim might disagree with that. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't. But I, I want to say to suggest something really controversial. You know, uh, you know, a lot of accidents are simple things, um, and a lot of them are caused by things like fatigue. And, and I think where behavioural safety has gone in in recent years taking a holistic view you know a holistically cultural view is is looking like is at issues like fatigue you know um, a lot of accidents occur to people who are just struggling for, for, for attention mental health now becomes really important i know dom disagrees but at worst case scenario if you're really struggling you have an accident and you say oh look what you made me do i'll, I'll be happy with that now you know and then and you've got a, a whole bunch of issues as i said around around fatigue around mental health around worries about financial situations that are distracting you know a distracted person is a person likely to have a simple accident particularly around something every day that's only moderately dangerous fatigue is a human error trap so we know, for example, you talk about mental health. Sorry, Tim, I've got to just get this bit in. We know that the evidence on fatigue and working longer work hours and so on and so forth and working additional shifts for overtime, that we know that there's strong evidence that that's related to incident. Mental health, there is absolutely no direct evidence at all. It doesn't exist. The evidence that does exist for mental health is based on 2,000 cases collected over three years by the HSE, of which, lo and behold, 700 of those cases are actually double dipping or treble dipping in some cases. So when you actually look at what it is, and I'm not saying that there's no situational things, there are. You've got bullying, you've got some pretty bad managers. I think it's telling or influenced by the mental health all work for the government. They're all in social work, they're all in teaching or something. They're not in private industry. They exist. So this and I've raised this before, there's something wrong there. So but I do agree with Tim on the on the fatigue. I have no problem with that at all. And what we've been collecting and what I'd like to steer the conversation to be very open is dealing with the fatality. I'm not worried about cut fingers. I am, but not as much as um, I would be worried about the potential for killing and for death because what everyone seems to forget in this they all treat this as an academic debate and it's not death is permanent you can't come back from it yeah they're even debating these days whether jesus actually did or not that was like <laughs> two thousand years ago dom if I, if I may um i can see we're all very passionate about this subject and i Absolutely. think when the three of us, when the four of us uh, decided to pick behavior-based safety and the future of behavior-based safety, I did recognize that in the previous session, there were a lot of questions that came out of it from other folks, especially Bernard, uh, Graham, talked about uh, people-based safety. There's a lot of good discussions that we can have. I'm from an industry background and I grew up with behavior-based safety. In fact, I met Scott back in, uh, in Washington when he did a seminar and um, it was quite interesting. So I picked it up quite quickly that he wasn't talking about blaming 
to workers. I think though, Scott, when you talk about corrective feedback, people didn't do corrective feedback in a nice way. It was almost like a blaming type of a thing. And what I'd like to do is I think we all know where you, Tim, uh, Dom and Scott sit in this. You're very pro BBS and correct me if I'm wrong, but you're very pro BBS. What do the rest of the people on this call on this session think? And please, if you have any questions, do chime in. This is as much your show as it is mine or Dom's or Scott's or Tim's. Is there a future for BBS or does it need to change? Sonny, can I throw something in here? I think the future for behavior-based safety is to become more humanistic. As for example, how do you give corrective feedback? There's no, there's no information and that's wrong. So for, let's try corrective feedback. I wanna ask Tim a question. Why do you continue to use the word accident? When in fact, Dom uses the word incident. To what extent do we feel that language can make a difference with regard to, to safety? An accident implies, now by the way, this is not the way you give corrective feedback, but I gotta throw it in. An accident implies that you're not in control. An accident implies that I couldn't help it. And, and that's the wrong perspective I want people to have. They can, you can talk about fatigue, you can talk about person states. We also talk about lots of stuff in, in the culture that can influence whether an injury occurs. In the safety world, at least in the US, We've stopped using the word accident. We stopped using the word investigation. What's that sound like? I'm going to find someone to blame for this accident. We don't look for a root cause anymore. It's not a root cause. You can't find a root cause through a through a conversation. Anyway, just a few comments. I, no, thought, I, I, I think, Tim, you're going to chime in in a minute. But if I may say that, um, I think you're right. Accident is an emotive word in relative terms to an incident. An incident is something people are very familiar with in the industry. But outside in Joe Public Arena, people talk about accidents. Tim, you you may have specific thoughts on this. Well, sure. I mean, I, 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 mean I, would have, I would have sworn that I hadn't used the word accident, but I, I imagine I have. I mean, an intended incident, uh, obviously, um, with, with a negative consequence. Um, but that's just a bad habit on my half. And uh, I, I, I am aware of the, uh, the upgraded language. Why is, it, why, is it, why is it not right to talk about the accidents as being accidents? Why... Why do we have to change our vocabulary? Well, I, 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 I could argue the toss, but I, I broadly agree that it's an incident. An accident has negative connotations. It's pejorative, isn't it, uh, to an extent, or could right. be taken that way. But more constructively, um, you know, when we talk about humanistic approaches, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, and looking at an individual, looking at their financial worries, looking at the quality of their interactions with a supervisor, looking with, at the way they perceive the company culture and the trust they have in the company culture, you know, looking at their mental health, looking at their well being and their state state of mind and their energy levels generally, I think that is a humanistic approach to, to behavioral safety. And I think people who are having a good day, as, as those things are defined, you know, people who are on, on their game, uh, they just have fewer incidents than, than people who are having a bad day. So I think the future yeah. of behavioral safety is humanistic, yeah. but I, I, would, I, would, I would push that we systemically look at, at all the reasons why people can take their eye off the ball and step in front of something they don't want to. Scott White. One, one more point, please, about humanism. Humanists are concerned about intentions. What if after we completed that behavioral checklist, we focused on intentions? What were your intentions doing that job? And by the way, you might have someone start to say, well, I intended to do this and this and this, but something interfered. Something pushed me in the wrong direction. That's the kind of conversation we want. We want people to own up to what kinds of factors in their culture influenced the wrong behavior. And it, by the way, that's what humanists do. You tell me why you did. Notice how well how well Tim said it, man. He said, I didn't realize I was saying the word. I counted like, like 15 times, but he said, I didn't even realize it. And then we talk, now we can talk about habits, man. Habits are something else, and that's another thing. You don't make safe, safety a habit. I've heard some people say, make safety a habit. No, if safety is a habit, you're not in control. You, you're not, it's about f- fluency. It's about mindful fluency. We have to think about what we're doing and about we're, what we're saying. Can I, I just jump in really quickly? So I've just got a point out that Scott just said, own up when he meant describe, I think. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. If people were able to do that, we'd have a different culture. I, I understand what you're saying, and that is if we change our language and we become more considerate, more empathizing, more understanding, heading more towards the Maslow's hierarchy of, you know, up up there towards uh, 
altruism and so on. But come on, in reality, we're not going to get that, are we? How are we going to adjust the behavior-based safety approach, bringing the word humanistic and everything else? How can we make this? And, and Dom, you're, you're... We already do this. We've done this for years. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of sitting here thinking, hang on, this is the way to We've been doing this for years, literally. Well, so explain that. Scott's talk, well, Scott's talking about um, this intention. You ask the intention. Well, now you're talking about intended and unintended behaviours, which is human error. We've been tracking human error since 2006 mm. with Shell. We started with Shell on a project in Ireland. We developed here that was based uh, from the thing that we were doing there. We've got the consequences management piece in there. So if somebody does it good, then you, you track it. So you've got a praise, job done well, and then you've got coaching because if I did something wrong out of all the behaviors he was doing right there was one wrong so you want to coach on it one or two so then you've got support you literally had to go and do something for the guy help the guy get a piece of equipment put a welding screen or something like that whatever or the last one time out guys this is too dangerous to continue we've got to stop let's get this back under control right. simple okay so we've got a couple of sorry Don we've got a couple of questions and I'm, I'm ignorant okay. of me I didn't see the hands go up here so Graham can you hear me well, you have a question well, yeah, it, it's question straight um, observation, and and you know what I'm like, I challenge the the status quo. So uh, I'm going to upset, I'm going to upset you guys. Behavioural safety, when it has been put in place, has either been short-lived because it's been a pet subject of the senior management and they think that's the right thing to do or it's failed because management have walked by when the middle management and supervisors are trying to, to implement. So are we missing the point here and especially going for the future that by saying we're doing this as a behavioral we're not. We're looking at the culture of the organization, the humanistic, the people involvement, methods of working and actually it's the culture that we're developing and challenge the bad culture that's relevant to that. I'll give you the example for that is the supply chain. If you look at a lot of, lot of construction organizations, it, we're target zero or we're racing for the, the bottom line. And actually what they're doing is they're forcing the supply chain because they're only having a, a management level on, on site. And they're forcing that supply chain to actually work in a culture that they're not used to. The, the pressures of that culture mean that they will take shortcuts and, and they will have those, those incidents where the fatalities will happen. Okay, let me just answer two very short because there's other questions one you need to create a safety partnership deliberately set out to create a safety partnership between the employees and the management or between company a company b and all its subbies and contractors or supply chains whatever safety partnership safe production is the number one priority let's bring this production and this safety thing together not one above the other or whatever guys we have to produce but we have to do it safely simple i gotta throw this in sorry sorry Safety is not a priority. When you make something a priority, it means it gets shifted depending upon safety is a value. And there's a big difference. Yeah, no, Scott, you and I can disagree on that. But think Sorry. about this. Safe production is our number one priority. We have to produce, but we have to produce safely. Whether safety is a value or not is a debate that we could have for hours. You and I have both I, I written think, on that. I think you're right. I think we'll need another session on that one, Dom. I'm mindful, guys, that there's quite a few questions. So um, we are limited in time. So I just want to, Graham, if I may, I'm going to move on to a couple of the other questions. I'm sorry. Sorry, you yeah, not a problem. But let's go to uh, Cheryl. Cheryl, you've got a, you've got your hand up there. Yeah, hi. Um, but actually, I think Graham, you um, maybe alluded to some of the points I was thinking about. You know, BBS doesn't sit on its own; it's within a culture, and predominantly, what drives that culture is the behaviour of the leaders. Um, I've coming from a place where I've been looking at mindfulness in HSE. What I'm interested in, uh, and maybe it's more of what Scott was talking about, the humanist approach. Uh, I'm kind of conscious of the mindfulness is maybe a la mode at the moment um, and it's maybe along the lines of coaching and uh, it's really sort of about self-awareness and the studies that I've been looking at with HSE was looking at how it could um, help people's external ability to find things that were hazardous and also working on the internal where they can improve their interrelationship skills so maybe have those difficult conversations mm. and maybe understand when they're behaving mindlessly or out of habits and understand what state they're actually in when they're on the work site. So just uh, curious maybe to see how mindfulness in culture and leadership could influence the, the whole situation and improve behavioural-based safety. 
and maybe with that percolating down to the, the workforce. Scott, do you, you got any thoughts on that? Well, my uh, next presentation at National Safety Council is on you manage behavior and you lead people. What's the difference? Behavior-based safety clearly is a way of managing behavior, but you lead people. That means you bring humanism in there, and we all know what self-determination theory is all about. If you want to inspire self-motivation, you have to produce give the perception of choice, competence, and community or relatedness, as DC and Ryan talked about it. And that's a humanistic theory. So again, yeah, we, we behaviorists, we can manage behavior, but now we have to be concerned with how people are feeling because in safety, we need self-motivation, self-determinism, and that's humanism. So much more we can say about that, but I'll I'll stop there and let other people. Yeah, I think we're going to pick on questions and, and get some responses and some maybe good responses. Some need a bit more work. But Reese, you've got your hand up there. Did you have a question? Yeah, well, just to make a comment, really, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky. I, I've uh, had the opportunity to see BBS on a global scale. Um, and, you know, I've seen very interesting things in the US as, as well as Europe. Um, it's something that the traditional BBS approach is still really pushed quite hard in the US. Um, and I think Europe is moving away from that quite quickly as well. But, you know, just an observation uh, from myself, I tend to see it's failed uh, at a time when we try to implement these types of programs and we haven't got the foundations right. Um, so, you know, we still got unguarded machinery. We haven't, you know, our training programs a bit hit and miss. You know, perhaps, you know, we haven't undertaken our risk assessments and really understood what, what our issues are. Yet it's really good and sexy to see graphs stapled to the wall and to have logos and slogans on high-vis vests. And it gives a sense of, um, oh, you know, we must be doing something right. We must be safe. Um, and I've been part of a number of these different programs. And, and for me, it always comes back to, but when you start picking apart these programs, what you actually see is quite a lot of uh, wallpaper. You quite, you know, a lot of banners, uh, but actually the foundations have fallen over. So I see a lot of immature management teams goes to a BBS program because it's visible, it feels good, it looks nice before they get the foundations right. And and that's a big observation that I see, you know, from the US, Asia and, and Europe. Could I not ask, just ask, can you not use, I mean, the question I was asked a lot in the 90s was, do we have to wait to do BBS till we've got the base right? Or can we use the BBS process as a way of driving getting the base right? And we've done, I've done it both ways, where for 20 years, the guys were doing it they were fixing something like fifteen to 17,000 actions per year. They were doing it. They had the budget. They were in control of the process. And Graham made a reference earlier to line management, middle management, doing BBS at people. There's the fundamental mistake. You do it with people. You don't do it at people. That's the big mistake everybody's made across the board for decades. Let me add one thing, please. When Reese is talking about foundation, I think foundation is understanding the rationale, the principles, the science behind the technology or the process. And so often we go in there with this marketing little idea and they don't, we don't teach people the why. Why is this useful? What is the foundations? When I hear the word foundation, I think education. Let people know. Yep. You don't just give them a rule and say pass it. You give them the rationale behind the rule. But you have to do your selling at the beginning, Scott. One of the things I had problems with with your process at the beginning was you'd written in one of your books that the observers had to ask people permission to be able to observe them. And I'm like, what on earth are these people doing? And this is before I came to the state. I could not understand why on earth people have to go around seeking permission. Because to get your BBS process in, in being, you go to the facility, you talk to all the boys on all the shifts and you say, guys, this is what we've got. This is what we want to do. This is how we want to do it. What do you all think? Do you want to, you want to try it? So we'd get, well, we'll suck it and see. Or we'll get, please go forth and multiply, whichever way that you do it. But eventually you would get the, the, uh, a thing. You might have to do something, a pilot on one of the lines or something. But it was there. But you've already got the permission. You've got the buy-in at the very beginning of the process. And again, it's how do you introduce your BBS process? Like you said, and you've all alluded to it, companies, management goes to a conference, whatever, sees it, yeah, that's what we want, bring it in, let's do it. Like they're doing with safety differently right now. I can't believe what they're doing. They're doubling incident rates in all these facilities. I'm pulling my hair out. Why? Because some bright spark's been to a conference and said, here's the latest bee's knees, let's whack it into the company. This will make an hour talk about mindfulness. 
mindfulness was meant to be about mindfulness of drifting into failure in a facility. It was an organizational-wide thing. It started off as an individual thing with Buddhism and humanism and all the rest of it. It went up into organization in 1987, 90s, the uh, Nuclear Research uh, Regulatory Commission and whatnot in the States. And now it's gone all the way back down to being an individual. Mindfulness as a thing from the work that I did looking at safety science constructs and the impact on Britain's incident rate is as useless. It's useless. It does not work. It cannot be defined. It cannot be measured. It cannot be monitored. Why are we as a profession wasting our time with these things? Why? Okay, Tom, I, at first, first you did, you did bring me up and saying that you, you didn't read, read my book far enough. Yeah, I think you start out by asking permission. It's not a gotcha process. And it's nice for you to say, everybody's on board. How do you get people on board? You just don't send them a paper or yeah, send them a newsletter. It's, yeah, you start out by asking, this is a good time for me to watch you. That's again, to get them on board. This is not gotcha. I'm not trying to find where you screwed up. I'm just trying to understand now intentions as well as behavior. Now, once we get in, and I've worked with many companies where once you get into that and they realize that this is all about us, it's not top management trying to catch us, it's all about within us, so then they say, okay, we don't have to ask, we just do the observing. But to start out, I'm asking, I'm, I'm here, I'm telling, I get, that's why it's biased. That's why if I know you're watching me, sure, I'm going to be as safe as I can be, but that's good, now we get the mindfulness. I'm mindful of you watching me, so I'm going to do my best right now. All right, I'll stop now because I don't want to go well, on. Well, I, I can see this is a very passionate subject. Um, okay. And I know... Thank you know, Yeah, well, I know that emotions are going to be stirred. But I'll tell you what, the, on, on Zoom, there's a button at the bottom that says reactions. What, what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw a question at you. Okay. I know some of you are a little shy, which I can't believe, okay? So give me your reactions. If I'm going to ask the question. You give me a thumbs up if you think it's fine and dandy and nothing needs to be done, okay? Is there a future for behavior-based safety? Now, while you're taking your thumbs or doing whatever, I'm going to start first with Dom. Yes or no? Yes, sir. Is there a future for behavior? Absolutely. We, we, I'm working with companies now. It's taken five years to do everyone, train everyone in the leadership because we've joined leadership with employees, with peer. Everybody does it all it's together. It's not one or the other. Everyone does it together. It's taken five years. Their stated goal was to be the safest tanker company on the high seas. Guess what? They're a gnat smidgen away from being that taken five years work and hard work on their behalf but yes absolutely there's a future tim yeah of course um if i could try and tie some of the themes together i've been watching dom and scott back 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 and forth um yeah i mean for me the mindfulness thing is is much more about you know which methodologies are we going to choose for which problem you know why are we using them what are we trying to achieve how are we going to define and measure progress <laughs> towards that and that takes us into the field of things like leading and lagging measures and, and, and so on and so forth. But sometimes what we would consider old-fashioned behavioral measures and behavioral methodologies are appropriate, holding the handrail so you don't fall down the stairs, that sort of thing. Um, you know, but sometimes something like collaborative planning, you know, might be a really good behavioral tool because it will have a serious impact on the at-risk at behaviors between a contractor and a, and a main, the main organization. So, Okay. It's, it's, pick, it's being mindful to pick and choose the right methodologies at the right time in the right way. Right. And Scott, so, yes, yes, very much. Apologies, Tim, I cut across there. Scott, being the pioneer of behavior-based safety, is there a future? Of course there is. But let's understand something. It's behavioral science applied to improve behavior. And there's lots of ways to do that. Here's an example. We used to give companies or individuals rewards, monetary rewards, if they didn't have an injury. We used to base rewards, incentives, rewards on outcomes rather than behavior. Behavior-based safety came along and convinced, hey, it's got to be based on behavior. You got to give, if you're going to use rewards, you got to use that recognition based on what people are doing for safety. 
So that's just one simple example. I mean, there's behavior-based leadership. There's behavior-based incentive reward programs. There's behavior-based collaboration. It's the application of behavioral science to improve behavior. Of course, there's a future. It was interesting because the number of thumbs that went up weren't as many as I expected. I would say it's less than 5%. So well, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of listening to, um, to the debate and uh, it's very interesting that how, how, how we, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, kind of um, separated and everybody's right, but I don't know whether we, we kind of started the conversation right in the middle, I suppose from the strategies, whether it's actually driven by the well-being strategy or by a safety strategy. So are we talking about safety, well, behavior-based safety in terms of prevention of accident or the prevention of mental health issues or well-being issues? And I think, I think it's, it's, for me, it's fair to kind of step back a little bit and look what we're trying to achieve by um, promoting or improving our behavior-based uh, safety at work. Because uh, ultimately, for me, when people say uh, accidents or incidents, I mean, for me, the whole concept of accident is about learning lessons from them and preventing recurrence. For, so for when I hear somebody saying it doesn't matter that whether we learn or we don't, I think they're very important for us to kind of see how we can prevent uh, an, uh, an accident happening as a result of an activity that's taken place uh, when undertaking a, a task within that area. Um, so again, I think it's very general, uh, but I'm just kind of curious as to what is driven the behavior-based safety, whether it's a well-being strategy or a, or a safety at work strategy, the prevention of accident, or a well-being at work, as in being happy uh, yeah. at work as opposed to anything else. Well, you've, you've more or less uh, echoed where I am. I grew up on behavior-based safety. I've applied it quite rigorously in my background in industry. But I'll be honest with you, I think, I think it's lost the plot. I think people are no longer sure what behavior-based safety is. Mm -hmm. I had a client um, on a conference call the other day saying, you know, we're in Arabia and we want to introduce behavior-based safety. And I said, okay, so, but you know what? I'm not sure if it's the right thing because in our culture, we don't like to blame people. And I said, well, look, it's not about blaming people, right? So I, I'm not sure if, and, and Scott, I want to talk about people-based safety. When you and I did those five shows back in December, 2017, crack, I feel old. I remember us talking about people-based safety and how it has to evolve. Now, Graham, last time we had this call, you alluded to people-based safety. Is it, is it now the right point where we start to not think about behavior-based safety, but more people-based safety? And that brings a humanistic side into it. Yeah, I think it is important because it, the culture of, of the people that are, are undertaking the work for you, whether they be direct employees, whether they be contractors, whether they be supply chain, they're fundamentally the, the, the people that are going to drive how you do i mean and we're talking a lot about incidents but what about the 400,000 uh, plus thousand people a year that are ill health uh, the, the 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 cancer um carcinogenic element of, of the work that we do do we address that within our, our our behavioral safety or are we looking at the physical process so it's it, People are, have to be centric to what we're doing and the culture of driving those people to, to do the right thing. So we're empowering them. We give them the power to say, look, this is the safe system work. This is how we can operate. This is what we do. But you're actually doing it. You're empowered. Be part of that process. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, Sonny, can I jump in? You know, I, yeah. I'd want to just push back at your comment. You know, I was trying to say that we're trying to take a humanistic, holistic, integrated approach to not hurting people right. and to having people having good days at work, whether that's minimizing exposure to, to noxious substances and nanotechnologies and so on, it's getting worse rather than better, um, or whether it's mental health or whether it's incidents, accidents and so on. And people saying things like it's lost the plot are, are not necessarily very constructive. You know, there, there will be behavioral methodologies that are applicable to certain problems and issues. 
you know, so we've lost more people offshore in the North Sea downstairs than the process safety. So you want something out there that's behavioural. So, you know, otherwise you end up with this crazy thing where you have a youth safety one or youth safety two. Yeah. You know, and it's got Tom's written the paper. Well, I'm both, aren't I? Aren't we all? You know, start coming up with slogans. I don't think it's helpful. Anyway, so. Can I just follow on from that? Everyone's on, everybody wants safety leadership. And I can remember again doing a meta-analysis of 328 safety leadership studies and working out from that that actually the most important style was safe, uh, servant leadership. What can I do for you? You might call it humanistic. You might call it mindfulness. I really don't care. I call it leadership. If I'm a scaffolder on the tools, what are you going to do for me to keep me safe? That's what I care about. Nothing else. I don't care about all these theories and all these yeah. philosophies. Are you going to make sure I've got the right piece of equipment in the right place at the right time to make sure that I can do my job safely? Dom, Dom, that is the empowerment of the individual to be able to take the culture and develop it through the organisation. But who leads that culture? It's the leadership. They set the tone. They set the culture. It has to be leadership leading as part of that. If they can do that all together in conjunction with each other, everyone's empowered. And you know, I'm a, I'm a scaffolder by trade. I'm very much into employee engagement, believe me. Okay? Mm-hmm. It has to be within constraint. And everyone has to work together. Hence, what I was trying to say to you earlier, this safety partnership. The targets, because you're all talking about different targets. You're talking about mindfulness. You're talking about mental health. You're talking about occupational health. They're all targets. The, the methodologies and what you do are there. What you choose to do and target is very much within your control and within the control of the culture or that organisation. To say, as Sonny did, that we think we've lost the plot, we haven't lost the plot. What we've done, I mean, I'm looking at safety differently right now. I'm looking at resilience right now. And, and I mean, seriously looking at them. I'm not talking about the article I did, Tim. I'm talking way beyond that, Okay. And I'm looking at it and I'm going, but we do this, but we do this. This is BBS, this is BBS, this is BBS. This, at the end of the day, and Tim's right, this is safety. It's not safety one, it's not safety two, it's not even BBS. It's safety. I, I, I think the whole I'm, glad, I'm glad you pushed back. I, I mean, is losing the plot. It's, no, I, it's I, going I, into HR, going into areas we do not need to be in. Sorry, Tony. No, look, guys, I'm glad you pushed back. We have to debate these things, okay? I'm, I'm telling you from my perspective, and I know, Cheryl, you had your hand up there, but you've lowered it again. So do you still have that question? Yeah, I just uh, I wanted to come back. Uh, I know Dom doesn't like those airy, fairy things. So I know he does. He's having a crack at me, I can tell. <laughs> I, used, I did use some of your research and a thesis uh, on mindfulness and HSE professionals, so I kind of know mm. where it comes from. But I guess for me, if you have got, especially leadership, if they're very, um, you know, if they dev- develop themselves mindfully, they're, they're going to know themselves better. They're going to be better leaders. They're going to be better at their interpersonal skills. They're going to notice things more. And that sort of um, leadership then trickles down and other people are influenced by that type of leadership. Uh, mindfulness down at the sort of um, the, the worker, the sort of frontline level can be a bit, a bit challenging. It's not everybody's cup of tea and it's something that you know, people have got to want to engage with. But I think if you get some mindfulness in the leadership team, you've got a better chance of creating that sort of safety culture. And they're, they're going to become more developed individuals and be able to lead in a better way, in a more inspiring way, perhaps. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of reasons for an injury. I just wasn't thinking. Or it was a habit. So let's, we can't deny the fact that mindfulness is, is important. But let's get, I want to really support what, what Dom and Tim, I think, were saying. Only with behavior can we all be in agreement we can actually objectively see what people are doing and count what people are doing. We don't know what people are thinking. We can try to ask them, but let's, let's get down to the only way to really develop and, and to understand what an organization is doing is by watching their behavior mm-hmm. and then talking to them about that behavior so we can improve it. But again, how we talk to them about their behavior, that's what people-based safety 
turned in to be. I want to just say that the reason I went to people-based safety, one of the main reasons, was that the consultants were misusing behavior-based safety. They were just making it too simplistic, too narrow. And as I said a moment ago, behavior-based is more than just observation and feedback. It's your whole mindset toward the organization. It's, again, improving behavior. It's acting people into thinking differently. And how we implement programs, no program, wrong word, how we implement processes to influence behavior can influence what, what they think about or their attitude toward that behavior. Um, Tony, can I give you a, a really simple example of mindfulness? Just before you do that, Tim, if I may, just before you do that, Karen, you had your hand up. Did you have a question? Hold on. Sorry. Yes, I did. I've just been, um, I've put it up a few times, just following on from this issue around culture. I did actually put my thumbs up in terms of a future for behavior. I, I know you did. Yeah. But I think there are flaws that, because I think a sort of following on something that Scott and Graham mentioned is that if we have that package of behavioral based safety and we expect leadership to lead in that way with people to avoid accidents, but they don't adopt the same human principles for all the other business disciplines, then it's never going to work. So the point is, I think a behavioural-based safety system is good, absolutely, but I think they've got to adopt all those principles across all disciplines and treat all disciplines the same so that their management or leadership style is consistent. Yeah. Can I just interject there? To, to, to get to where you want to get to, I would just say there's one question that a leader needs to ask when he goes to yeah. see the guys. What can I do for you to help you do your job properly? What do you need from me? That's it. They can do that across all disciplines. So it doesn't have to be just safety related. It's like no. you've got to produce an invoice. What do you need for me to help you do that? If they've got that ingrained in them, that'll come across all the business and all the disciplines. Yeah. Exactly. Otherwise, you get that conflict. And it is behavior based. Yeah. It's what can I do for you? Correct. What behavior can I do and you do for me? So that's why it's objective and it's behavior. So that's behavior-based. Mm. Now, Tim, sorry I cut across you there. You wanted to push back. Oh, yeah, no, we're talking about mindfulness and leadership. You know, I, I remember being at a conference once uh, and the CEO, I think I alluded to this earlier, stood up and said, nothing is more important than safety. It's my number one priority. And the guys at the back of the room were basically going, bullshit. <laughs> and, you know, and I, I, I took them to one side and, and I said, he, he convinced me. I, I, I actually know I, I, I bought into that. He seemed, he seemed sincere to me. And they said that's because he believes it himself. He genuinely believes it when he says it, but it's bullshit. Well, and, and a couple of months later, I got a really graphic example of just how bad it was. They, they killed somebody and um, we had a kickoff session, uh, which he didn't attend because he was busy. Well, look, you know, I, I, uh, even though even though we were coming on the back of a fatality, I can't believe he's not here. And they said, yeah. Bobby told you. I use the words losing the plot because I wanted to be as emotive as the word accident. OK, when you start using words like that, there's a tendency sometimes for a bit of defensiveness and so on. I, I used it because the way I look at behavior based safety is it has to have instructions just like everything else. And if you say to someone, you're a leader, you should do behavior-based safety. And by the way, these are the rule sets that are, you, know, you should be working by. And if you're a worker, if you're an operator down at the brass knuckles who has to turn the valves and do all the other things on, there's no point going to talk to them about humanistic behavior or anything else and so on. They don't have a clue. Well, they're not interested. They just want to do what they are supposed to do. There has to be some clear ground rules and if we came up with behavior-based safety, as Scott did many years ago, we, we should be at a point now where we say, well, it's still relevant. It still has a future, but maybe we should have a bit more of a focused approach to specific things. Rhys, you've got your hand up. Yeah, I just want to make a, uh, a point that, you know, when we talk about this stuff, I think there's, we often talk from a management perspective, or at least management think that their job in all of this is to implement, and I'm going to say the word, a program. Uh, and they've done their bit. But, you know, it's the next tier down that are the executioners. And it's the next tier down of people that I think we need to do the development of. Yeah, we, we talk about leadership and 
there's a tier in all of this where once we get kind of buying from from top level right park it now yeah. let's really get focused in on the supervisors and the people that execute yes and that is consistently where we in, in my opinion we fall short of the mark that is where we spend lots of money with hr programs developing you know the top guy in the business and he takes that program he goes yeah cheers for that so now i'm going to take it to my next company and show them look this is what i've got meanwhile there's absolute turmoil going on with our supervisors. So you ask the question, is there a, a future for behavioral-based safety? Um, I'm going to say in its current form, where, where understanding is, you know, where we, how mature we are at that level, that for me is where I challenge if, if it's going to work. That for me is where I challenge if the future is there. Because think about COVID, we're going to spend less money on training those people now. We're going to spend, have more focused time on hitting, you know, hitting the production targets and getting those things out. But we need to spend all of that time really with that tier of people. So for me, that's yeah, that's my my big input. Very there. good. Um, you actually echo an opinion survey that I did in the last two weeks of April, which lots of you took part in. Three hundred twenty-seven people, and one of the questions was, "We will have to rethink our safety culture because of the impact of lockdown." Seventy-seven percent said yes. 22% said no. So I, I, I do agree with you. I am an advocate of behavior-based safety, maybe because I've applied it and I know what it's meant to do. And I always try and emphasize it's not about blaming the workers. Maybe it's time for a little bit of a rethink and a little bit of a strategic approach and make behavior-based safety not a flavor of the month but something that becomes embedded in an organization that actually does something in terms of improving safety and culture and so on. And Scott, you know, I've, I've, I've done those five interviews with you and we went through it show by show by show and we ended up at various things like people-based safety and so on. I mean, if anybody feels, no, there is absolutely no future for behavior-based safety. Firstly, I, I would have thought you'd come on this, uh, on this session to push back and become quite vociferous, but I get the feeling that you all are and I get the feeling that maybe my use of the words losing the plot wasn't the right set of words. Maybe it's something that needs a little bit of retuning, a little bit of realignment. Yes, Don. Can I just say, I plead with whatever process, whatever program you do, whatever you want to call it, whatever your flavor is, I don't care. Yeah. What I will ask you to do is please, 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 can you focus on the potential fatality? Please, Britain in 32 years has averaged 24,000 serious injuries and fatalities every single year. We have impacted 66% on the three days and now seven days lost injuries, what I call the temporary disability. But that death rate, that maiming rate is still there. There but for the grace of God go you or I. Mm. Mm. Whatever flavor of safety you do, please, please hit that. Mm. Well, you, you're, you're referring back to a show that, sorry, Scott, go ahead. Quick point. Before behavior-based safety, way back in the 70s, you all know how safety was. It was top down. Mm. Here's the rule. You all pass it. You just do it. If you don't do it, we write you up. Three strikes and you, yeah. you're, you're home. Behavior-based safety got the employees involved. And now what our discussion is, what's the best way to get the employees involved? I mean, behavior-based safety, very simply, again, was those checklists, but at least the worker was defining for the company what is safe and what's not safe. Who knows better where the risks, risks are than the workers themselves? So that's what behavior-based safety did. And now we're simply talking about What's the better way to get the employees involved? And do we have to worry about how they're feeling? Do we know, do we worry about their intentions? Do we worry about what they're thinking? And so again, that's going to be the evolution. How do we get closer to really, and I call it humanistic behaviorism. How do we get closer to getting people to buy in to the process? Yeah, 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 sorry, I forgot to <laughs> unmute myself. Hello, gentlemen and ladies. I'm representing Poland and Eastern Europe and BBS. Um, we're talking about the future of BBS, and I'm afraid that looking at the statistics, nine companies out of 10 
in Poland, in this part of the world, is failing in implementing whatever you call it, project, program, process. They call it BBS. And I think if we want to talk about the future, we need to think about the resistance, the fear, and the way the consultants sell all the programs when they try to implement the BBS processes. And BBS for me is not only about observation. I noticed that BBS works the best when we try to integrate the philosophy of behavioral safety, the philosophy of care. And this is when we talk about BBS within each of the tools we've got in our organization. And when we try to embed the safety, behavioral, humanistic approach in every decision we take, like safety management walk, like other, uh, I don't know, near miss reporting, and every decision we take, this is when we talk about. So talking about the future of BBS, I think we need to think about the format of BBS and the methodology of BBS, which needs to be different from BBS that we have today. Very well said, yeah. I think it's actively- Sorry, I was gonna say that was why I did that design paper, that paper that says that if you've got participative goal setting, if you've got participation across the board and it's optimized, you give feedback weekly, but you don't just give feedback, your observers discuss with the work group the results of the observations to do with them, not just four bar graphs up on a wall once a month and a steering committee who says, oh, we analyzed the data and this is what we found. It's no good. You're missing the target. Get the guys to talk about it. They're so happy. They're so happy. Celebrating all the graphs, celebrating all the KPIs, numbers, but at the bottom line, when you go there, you don't see that it's not, it has nothing to do with BBS. Same right. as my experience. Tony, I mean, you know, one of the things that we, we need to get clear is we talk about BBS as a, as, a, as a single entity and it's a thousand and one different variations, you know, and, and a lot and around the world you see a lot of it is just crap, you know, sold by uh, consultants who should be ashamed of themselves, are implemented by management who are just looking for a magic bullet and are only doing it in a semi-committed way. And, and then, yeah, thanks, Scott. And, and then people are saying, oh, look, this is behavioral and safety and it's, and it's crap. And the unions pile in and, and so on and so forth. You know, there are, it's just a bunch of really good methodologies that have been central to driving forward a huge improvement in accident rates around the world, starting with people like Scott, or starting with Scott himself to a great extent, you know, over, over the last decades. And it's picking the right methodology for the right issue and implementing it well with proper right. management commitment. Can I, just, can I just follow on from that for Tim and just say that from a scientific perspective, because we're scientists at the end of the day, or some of us are, when you look in the safety arena per se, and you look at the research, behavior-based safety, behavioral safety, whatever name you want to give it, is one of the most successful safety paradigms in history. That and ergonomics are the two that have made all the difference. Everything else is waffle. Everything else is speak, 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 sales speak. But what actually delivers is ergonomics and BBS, proven over and over and over and over again. What so I'll leave you with that thought and reinforce what Tim said. That's good, but one thing I want to say is, Tim, you said it's more than one. It's over a thousand and X odd pieces put together, all right? He needs the Rolls Royce and he can forget the rest. Well, no, my, my pushback again on this, and you'll hate me for this. There are a lot of people on this call who are smart people. In fact, everyone on this call is a smart person, okay? A thousand and one put together. You try and sell that to the general public, They'll lose the plot. Oh, suddenly I said there are a thousand one variations being sold. That's, well, how can you expect people to follow the plot when there are a thousand and one variations? I haven't got complete control of all the consultants all over the world. Uh, my answer to that, Sonny, is a car is a car is a car. It's a car is a car. The steering wheel. True. And it's got a variation in color and size. But, and so on but and so forth. there is an automatic car, a manual car, an electric car, a petrol car, a diesel car. Each has a different set of instructions. But there's still right. a car. It's if a it car. Like it a duck, if it quacks yeah, like a duck and it walks like true. a duck, That's it's true. a duck. 
Uh, yeah, but it, it's true. It gets you from A to B. And the whole objective is to make it safe, make people work safe, go home, all of that stuff. It does what it's supposed to do at the end of the day, which is to keep us safe. But if you have that many variations and that many combinations and permutations. Yeah, I think the, the bit that's missing that no one's really discussed yet, and Scott did touch on it right at the very beginning, was this it's data driven, it's data analysis. And that seems to have been forgotten in all of this. If you've got a BBS process, a salesman, a consultant, and he's telling you everything under the sun is behavior-based safety, and you say, okay, where's your results? How are you analyzing your data? And he looks at you as if you're a Martian. You, there's the door, go. That's got rid of at least 600 of your variations right there, okay? Because it's data-driven. And Scott and I, at the very beginning of this, in the 90s and all the rest of it, we were all doing research. What makes this successful? What are the factors? Scott came up with a few with him and Josh Williams and that, and they did great stuff. We did some stuff and we did a survey um, and we had two or 3,000 users, clients, facilities across the world. And what was really striking was that, the, and I've been misquoted on this in England, so I'll get it right now, is the companies who don't analyze their data and give it to the people to discuss those BBS processes fail. They're doomed to fail. And one of the ones on a big construction project in the UK that was published in Safety Science in 2018, they got all these people collecting data on some kind of card. It's coming back into the office. Everyone's complaining it was the same every day. Well, whoopie do, because you've given everyone quotas for filling these things out. But the guys in the office didn't have a clue how to analyze it. Now, Clients need to start looking at that. How are you going to use this data? How are you going to analyze it? What are you going to do with it? How are you going to make sure that the guys can discuss it? How are you going to identify your corrective actions? The ethylene, the old ICI one, JB06 up in Middlesbrough in Wilton, they were magnificent. It was entirely driven by the unions. The management supported across the board. Those guys, I mean, literally 15 to 17,000 fixes a year. They built, would you believe in an internal market, they even built a cantilevered affair on the sixth floor of the furnaces because one of the guys had been squirted with product. And they said, we're going to get that fixed. And they saved up their money and they twisted arms on the internal market, but they got it done. I love your passion, Don, by the way. <laughs> I just love safety. I mean, I've had my arm in a I, I think, I think we all... I think we all love safety. I think we all want to do things that are right. My problem is we run out of time every time we do these things. Oh, bloody hell, again? Again, again. You know, time is not on our side, is it? Um, I, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I think, I think we started something on the 15th of April, and it's now rolled on to a second one. And I'm sure that we've probably asked more questions than we've got answers now. But we, we need to keep this momentum. We just want to do something that we can give to people out there that says, look, this is really simple stuff. This is how you do it. It's how you apply it. So I'm open to suggestions. I enjoy doing these. I'm happy to keep facilitating this so long as you're supportive and you keep attending. Where do we go next from here? Any thoughts on that from anyone else? Well, you know, we all have things, like you say, we all have passion. Yes. We all have things to say and there's not enough time to say it. So maybe if, if say I was not involved, you, we'd have more verbal behavior Don't from... say that. Hey, Scott, I'll tell, you what, I'll tell you what we'll do, Scott. How do you eat an elephant in small pieces, okay? I would, I would suggest for the next session, we really focus. We've had, the first one was a bit sort of touchy-feely, let's get to know each other. The second one's been good. It's been a bit pushed back here and there. I think for the third one, let's really focus in on a question. And let's really break that down and finish it, move on to the next question. So if we can get five good questions. That's the point. Yeah, like, like I wanted to respond to what Jeanette said about, about caring. And I wanted to bring in the fact that that's why I've called it actively caring for people. And we never really got there. But that language is important. We've even seen this today where, you know, is it a program or a process? Is it an accident or an incident? Is it an investigation or an analysis? I mean, language is important. And I think the new BBS should be actively caring for people. Active behavior. 
caring humanism. So the academic term is humanistic behaviorism. I've That's sensed that. Point. Sorry, Scott. I sense that out with a few people in my sort of network. They prefer people-based safety. They seem to really go for that because it makes it more um, acceptable. It's, 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 um, I don't know if it's a European thing. I wrote two books on people-based safety. I'm fine with that. I mean, whatever, really, it is about whatever works, whatever draws people in so we can, we can talk about. Well, let, let's talk about the label on the box afterwards. I think the next subject should be about commonality of language. Let's have some common words, common languages, whether it's accident, incident, whatever, and so on. Let's just focus on what the baseline is in terms of what language we're going to use. And how about also principles? Principles. Sure. Language and principles. What are the basic principles we should be following in order to keep people safe? Maybe. Can we ask the audience to come up with five questions? Let them come up with a question. Let me just put it on the big screen view. Okay. Uh, thumbs up if you're going to come up with a question and you're going to send it on an email so we can all see it and discuss it and go from there. Yeah, let that Carol, Robert, Leanne. Okay, guys, you've all, you've all come up. Gemma, fine. I would just like to say, uh, Dom, Scott, Tim, thank you so much for your time, your effort and your patience and accepting my pushbacks. You know what I'm like anyway. I like to push back now and then. And also to everybody on the call who spared time during their busy schedules and considering the circumstances to spare their time to be with us. So I'd just like to say thanks and um, go home safe. Yeah. Nice to see you all again, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. And I will follow up with an email. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, Javi. Bye, Sonny. Bye, Mohammed. Nice hey, to see you, man. Bye, bye, Sonny. Bye, Edward. Bye, Jamie. Bye, bye Jeanette. Bye, Tony. Bye, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Wilson. Safe, safe production. You said it, Dom. Yeah. Safe production. safe production. Number one priority. Well, we know what your question's going to be then. You've <laughs> <laughs> been looking at my looking at my LinkedIn process. Right. So I'll have a look at that. <laughs> Jeanette, thanks for turning up. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for invite. Thank you. And you. Bye-bye.